Come on. We are in a series on Nehemiah, and I'm going to invite up my work construction crew to the stage this morning. A little bit of home improvement here for you. Working with my three boys. Come on, give these guys a big hand as they come up to the stage. All right. They're joined with their friend Michael Dillard, Corby, who does a lot of projects around the church staff. And I needed Corby up here because we have saws, hammers, screwdrivers, and I'm trying to preach. They are already getting started. They are working hard on this vision. And I love this story of Nehemiah because it's a story of rebuilding, restoring, renewing, and working together as a family. If you got a Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Yes. And as I'm looking at these boys doing the work, doing their job, guys, look up just for a second before you work. Just look at everybody. Say hi. Wave with your tools. Nehemiah, give them hi. There you go. I mean, Benaiah. I just called him Nehemiah. Come on. Prophetic right there. Prophetic. In Nehemiah chapter 3, it says, Then Eliashab, the high priest, and other priests began to rebuild. And they started building together, and they dedicated the work to the Lord. They built the doors, and they built the wall, and they built the gates, and they built all the way up to the tower. In verse 2, it says, People from the town of Jericho came together, and they worked next to them. Everybody say, next to them. You're going to see that line all throughout Nehemiah chapter 3. You'll see this line that says, this guy worked next to this guy. This son worked next to this father. This son worked next to this brother. And there was this unified vision. There was this group of sons and fathers, mothers and daughters, families working together. In verse 3, it says, the fish gate was built by the sons of Hasinah. They laid the beams. They set the doors. They installed the bolts and the bars. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, and the grandson. So this was not just people that were 18, 25 years old. This was people that were like seven, eight, nine. Can you imagine the Israelites, all of these families, all these generations working together, all of these different sons? And here's the vision for this church. God has called us to be a multi-generational church. A church where sons and daughters and mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, all generations would work together. That each person would find their part on the wall. Throughout Nehemiah chapter 3, it talks about how these families worked side by side. They found their place. They found where they belonged and they began to get involved and serve. This was a dream worth building. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about. I, w- I would keep these guys up here, but I feel like you would be distracted the whole time because they're so cute looking. Um, not Corby, but the, the, I mean, he's, he's a mighty man of God. I'm talking about the little guys. Would you give them a big hand as they go back to their seats? Come on, mighty men. You can bring the tools with you, not the saws. Hey, before you go back, let me just say something. Matt, come up here real quick. You know, it, it's cute. It's funny, but It is true that we're teaching the next generation the tools for the kingdom of God. We're teaching them how to build God's house. This morning during the offering, Liam brought his whole box of money and he said, Daddy, Mommy, I want to give everything I have for the vision at Victory. He was just supposed to give a tithe this morning. He was bringing a percentage of it, but he said, I want to give it all to God. I want to give it all to God today. I want to sow towards what God needs. This is all he has. This is what he's been saving for all the birthday money he's saved up all the years and and what he's been working on. And it touched my heart because 
That's what we're teaching the next generation. We're teaching them how to build the house of God. We're teaching them how to build lives of generosity, lives of trusting in Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of getting your kids to church. Don't underestimate the importance of getting, teaching your kids the principles of God's word. Give these guys a big hand. And Pastor Ty, will you make sure that goes into the offering? Come on, mighty men of God. I want to talk to you today about a dream worth building. A dream worth building. I'll call you back up in just a minute. We'll worship at the end. But I want to give you today five principles. If you're a note taker, note takers are history makers. Five principles on a dream worth building. What does it require from you and from me? Number one, a dream worth building requires you to come alive with a divine burden. Nehemiah had to catch the vision first. Before he invited families and sons and fathers and mothers, he himself had to own this divine burden. He had to come alive with a divine burden from God. We talked about this last week. How do you get a divine burden? Oftentimes it starts with tears. It starts with heartbreak. You begin to sense something in your heart. I'm supposed to help in this area. I'm supposed to do this thing. Maybe you're a mom or a dad and you just feel this divine burden for your children. Good. That's how God wants us to parent our kids, with a divine burden. Maybe you're single today and you've got this divine burden that one day you would have a marriage that brings glory to God. But in this time of being single, you sense that this is a season for you not just to waste time, but to prepare and to live with purpose and to come alive in who God's called you to be. That you're not waiting on another person to complete who God has already made you to be. That you are complete in Christ. Whatever the season you're in, whatever the task you have, whether you sell cars whether you sell coffee, whether you sell houses or life insurance, or whether you're a pastor or a coach or a teacher, whether you're a mom or a dad or a college student, you can live with divine purpose. I want to invite up two people on stage, Cora and Brandon. Brandon was the guy playing drums today on the drum set. Cora was one of the singers. Don't we have an awesome worship team here at Victory? I think so too. Cora, come on out here. And I want to talk about what is that, you heard this last week, what does it look like to live with the divine burden versus just living? See, Nehemiah was existing, but he was about to come alive. It's one thing to exist, it's another thing to come alive. You know what I'm talking about? So, Cora, tell everyone what you do here. Um, I came on 31st December to Victory College. I work with after school care as well, and I'm a worshiper, I'm a singer. Come on. So I want you to just sing, just sing one line without any passion, without any sense of purpose, no divine burden. Just sing like you don't really care. Like you're just trying to like keep a job, not get fired, but you're not really trying that hard. God, you're so good. Okay, that's good. That's good. You're not going to get fired. That's good. But Cora, now I want you to sing with a divine burden. I want you to sing like this song is, is truly a burden in your heart. Like you've had to sing this song during nights where you wept so many tears and you weren't sure how God was going to come through, but his goodness showed up in your life and you were overwhelmed by his mercy and by his favor. I want you to sing from that deep burden. No pressure. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
Come on. How many of y'all want to hear her sing it in her native tongue? Sing it, sing it in how you heard it when you were first a little girl. She's crying. She's feeling this. Katonda mulunji. Katonda mulunji nyo. Katonda Give her a big hand. Powerful. You notice the difference between singing and singing. You know what I'm saying? There's living and then there's really coming alive. There's existing and surviving the exile. And then there's really coming alive at your job. Coming alive where God's called you to be. Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2 was all about him personally catching this vision. He was getting a dream worth building. He was getting a reason to get up out of bed. I shared this last week, but my grand-grand, who's 99 and a half years young, sitting next to my mom, who's an amazing matriarch in this house. But the two of them, they wake up with a reason to be alive. They wake up with a reason, a purpose to get out of bed. If you don't have a purpose to get out of bed, you start dying. You start, like, you start no longer having any joy for life. Brandon, come over here. You're a son in this house. Brandon Benjamin, the son of John and Sharon Benjamin, a mighty man of God. Brandon, how old are you? 23. 23, graduated from ORU. Sharp man. He can, he can engineer songs. He mixes and produces all the music that, that oftentimes comes here out of victory. How many of y'all appreciate just the beautiful worship music? Brandon produces it. Brandon, would you hop on the drum set for a second? Because Brandon, at a young age, learned how to build the house. His parents got him involved in the church. They gave him tools, right? And this is really what Nehemiah was inviting other families to do, other generations, was to find your place in the house of God, to get involved serving, and to use your tools to build up God's house. So Brandon, I want you to play the drums with no passion, no excitement, no purpose, you're just like, ah, I'm just playing the drums, like don't really care. And then we're going we're gonna to contrast it and show what does it look like to really come alive at what God has gifted you to do. All right, so play with no, no passion. Yeah, don't even smile. Just sad. Yeah, okay, you see what I'm talking about? You're like, that's how I look at work oftentimes right there. Just, just doing the rhythm, just doing it. Now I want you to do it from that deep burden in your heart. I want you to come alive, because this is how you, you play with passion. I've never seen Brandon not play the drums with passion. You give it all you got. Now, I want you to show the people the contrast of just playing, and then really playing those drums for the Lord. for Brandon Benjamin. Everybody say, come alive. So when you read Nehemiah 1 and 2, you see this man who's coming alive with vision. He's living with audacious faith. He's getting this dream to rebuild the nation of Israel. 
Here's where the dream was birthed. He saw his people were in disgrace. When you think about why did Moses go to set the Israelites free from Pharaoh, he, his heart began to break for the abuse that was happening to his family members, to the Hebrew children. When he saw that, his heart began to stir with passion. God wants you to stir with passion over something in the world and to allow it to make you come alive. To let you really catch a burden, a dream from heaven. Now, number two, here's how the dream gets built, and that's through encouragement. Be an encourager. A dream worth building requires you and me to be an encourager. Nehemiah didn't just keep this vision to himself. He began to stir up other people. Look at Nehemiah 2 verse, uh, we'll start with, let's start with verse 17. Nehemiah is going to kind of describe the condition of what's going on. Everybody already knows there's problems, but he says this, I told the Israelites, you know very well that we are in trouble. Now, if you're an Israelite, you're looking at Nehemiah, you're like, duh, (laughs) you know, like our gates have been burned down, our walls are broken down, none of us are, are united, we've all been scattered, we don't have a king, we've been in exile for the last decades of, of life, and Nehemiah says, look, you know we're in trouble, you know we're disgraced, you know that Jerusalem lies in ruins, the gates have been destroyed by fire, but then he says this, but I say, let's rebuild. Somebody say rebuild. When Nehemiah said that, I feel like there was people that were standing near Nehemiah that all of a sudden, they hadn't heard that word yet. It's like they had been looking at the problem. They had been staring at the darkness. You can curse the darkness or you can light a match in the darkness. They had been looking at the next generation and they're like, it's chaos. It's bad. But Nehemiah said, I sense God is calling us to rebuild this city. I believe God is calling us to restore what the enemy has stolen from our nation. I believe God is invested in the next generation, so we should get invested in the next generation. Nehemiah began to stir the people with vision. He began to encourage them. He said, listen, it's bad out there, but it's not over. Somebody say, it's not over. He was saying, things look rough in your family. Things look rough in America. Things look rough right now in Israel. But God can bring change where we need to see change. It's not going to be easy. But if we get united, we can fulfill this vision. Like Bob the Builder says, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Somebody say, yes, we can. I remember in 2020, I was watching the news and there were riots breaking out in different cities. And there was this one pastor who was being interviewed after his church had been burned by fire in Baltimore. And in the background, as he's being interviewed by CNN, Fox News, all the different news stations, you see people jumping on top of a police car, just bashing the window. You see like firebombs being thrown. People are, I mean, it, it just looks, it looks intense. It looks very dark. And the, the news anchor says, what do you see? And this man, I'll never forget it. He was an older gentleman pastoring this church there in in the downtown part of Baltimore. He said, I see revival coming to America. He said, I see God is on the move. And I see God is going to rebuild and restore. He starts quoting Nehemiah. He says, I believe God's calling us to rebuild this nation. I believe God's calling us to restore. And I just start getting tears as I'm watching this pastor. I'll never forget it. In the midst of chaos, he said, I see revival is coming. See, Nehemiah was looking at what everyone else was looking at, but he began to speak a different language. He began to speak a language of encouragement. 
He began to speak a language of hope, a language of victory. When you come into this house, no matter what you're facing, we're going to declare that your best days are still in front of you, that God is not finished with you yet, that you're going to see the victory through Jesus Christ in your life. Don't let a circumstance change your language. Don't let an environment of discouragement stop you from believing in the goodness of God. God is still good. There was a study done on a school in Springfield College, Massachusetts. They did a study on school children and the effects of encouragement. And so they had these kids do a a monotonous task without any criticism and without any encouragement. They were just silent. And they asked the kids to draw a picture of a man. They said, we want you all to draw a picture of a man. There was 100 kids in this class. As they finished drawing a picture, they gave them 10 minutes. They said, now we want you to draw another picture of that same man, um, but we want it to be better than the last one. So the kids were like rolling their eyes, like, what? And they didn't say anything. They looked at the pictures. They didn't say anything to the kids. So then they draw again, 10 minutes. Then they asked them to do this a third time. They said, now we want you to draw that same picture even better than the last two. One kid shouted out, you're a meanie. Another kid shouted out, I feel trapped in this thing. (laughs) That's probably me right there. Another kid said, this is terrible. You know, so they're angry. They got, they got angry. They got resentful. They got bitter. They lost their joy because there was no reward for their toil. And here's the result of their drawings. They looked at the drawings from the first time they asked to the second time, the third time. The drawings got worse and worse and worse. Now, here's, here's the point. Encouragement makes the difference in our life. Oftentimes, all it takes is a little bit of encouragement for a kid to keep working at what God's called them to do. All it takes is a little bit of encouragement for your husband to keep on working for your wife. If we would speak more encouragement and less sarcasm, less name calling, less condescending words, if we would speak life, see the dream that God's called us to build, it doesn't get built without encouragement. We got to encourage ourselves and we got to encourage others. Everybody say encourage yourself and encourage others. There was a young man in London who had a dream to be a writer but the cards seemed stacked against him. He had only four years of school training in his life. His dad was put in jail because he couldn't pay his debts. And to survive from the pains of hunger, he got a job pasting labels on bottles in a rat-infested warehouse. He would sleep in an attic in that warehouse every night with two other boys from the slums. And with such little confidence in himself and his ability to write, he secretly slipped out in the middle of the night and mailed his first manuscript of what he had written He didn't want anyone to know that he had done this. He didn't want to be laughed at or told that he was unqualified. That manuscript, along with countless others, were rejected time and time again. Finally, one story he wrote was accepted. He wasn't paid anything for this story, but the editor praised him and said, Charles, you have great potential in your life. He said that one little compliment caused him to wander the streets of London that night with tears rolling down his cheeks. And he said, I just kept repeating that one line. I have great potential. I have great potential. I have great potential. That one compliment from that editor caused Charles Dickens to become one of the greatest writers that we've seen in our lifetime. If we weren't so stingy with our encouragement, we could see a whole lot more Charles a whole lot more Liam's, Brandon's, Cora's, Max, Benai's. We could see a whole lot more people rise up with the dream that God's put in their heart. Everybody say, be an encourager. Number three, a dream worth building requires you to show up for the divine work. It requires me to show up for the divine work. 
Half the battles are won by just showing up. Half the battles in family, in marriage, in ministry are fought by just showing up. If you'll show up, God will show up. God's already there. He's just waiting on you. When I was in school, we used to have a thing called roll call. Cha-cha-boochie, cha-cha-cha-boochie, roll call. My name is Paul. I play b-ball. I got a call. So praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. Cha-cha-boochie. The point of the song, I made that up, but the point of the song was to let the teacher know I'm here. Somebody say, I'm here. Roll call. Are you present? Ask the person next to you, say, are you here? Are you here? Are you here? You can physically be somewhere, but mentally and emotionally be checked out. How many people are at their job, but they're not really at their job? How many people are with their family, but they're not really with their family? (laughs) Yeah, I'm here, Paul. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here with 80 apps open on my phone. I'm playing Tetris, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm making threads, I've got every app open, I'm physically here, don't expect to get all my attention. What if we just showed up and gave our full attention to who matters the most in our life? Show up for the divine work. By the way, your family is divine work. Church is divine work. Don't, don't just go, I'll show up when I feel like it. I'll show up when I like the series. I'll show up, I'll show up when, when they're going to pay me to be there. What if we started showing up and making it a priority to be where God's calling us to be? What if we made our kids more of a priority? You know, I, play, I, I would bring the kids back up here, but it would get rowdy again. But I play games with our kids. Ashley and I play games with our kids every week. We play a game called Find the Wolf. I learned this from Pastor Larry Stockstill, where I I put a blanket over my head and I hide out somewhere in the house and they've got to come searching for me when they find me. I wrestle them and I tickle them. And then we do a game called Steamroller, where I just, I learned this from my dad, I just roll over the kids. I'm the steamroller. They love that. I love it too, because I'm just rolling on top of them. And they're like, ah, steamroller. Guys, that's divine work. You go, no, 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 that's a waste of my time. I got to get to my job. Your family matters. This is home improvement. This is a big deal. What if the fixer-upper for you is not a house out there? What if it's your own family? What if the broken down walls and the gates that have been burned down aren't just your job at the church? What if it's your job in your own family, the marriage, the children, So Nehemiah, he challenges the people. He says, find your place on the wall. Get to the place. Look at Nehemiah 3, verse 5. I find it interesting. Nehemiah calls out a group of people who refuse to show up. In verse 5, he says, next were the people from Tekoa. And however, even though there were people from Tekoa, their nobles refused to work in the construction team. There was a group of leaders who refused to show up. Now, we don't know why they didn't show up. Maybe they felt like they were better than the other people. Maybe they felt like they had graduated from this level of showing up to work. I remember when I was younger, my basketball coach got upset because there was this one really gifted player, but he refused to come to practices all the time. And so he, like, he was one of the best players on the team. And the coach said, next practice you miss, you're going to sit out five games. The player didn't think it would work. He's like, Allen Iverson doesn't go to practices. And, and the coach was like, you're not Allen Iverson. 
He's like, well, what about Kobe Bryant? He's like, Kobe Bryant went to practices. So this player, he was just, he was refusing to show up. Sure enough, the coach sat him for the next five games. That player started coming to practices after that. Here's the point. So often, people think they don't have to show up. This group of people thought that they could live with the benefits of everyone else's work and not put their shoulders to the work. Everybody say, show up. Maybe they thought they were too big to serve. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Maybe they thought, we're too wealthy for this. Like, we've made enough money. We've graduated. If you're too rich to serve, you're too poor to lead. When you get to heaven, God won't say, well done, thou rich and faithful multimillionaire. He won't say, well done, thou famous Instagram influencer. He won't say, well done, thou prestigious CEO. No, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We never graduate from servanthood. Servanthood is our calling to show up for the divine work. This is your wall. This is your house. This is your church. This is your legacy. This next generation is counting on you to show up. Don't sleep through the best years of your life. Don't get on cruise control while your kids are growing up. They need you now. See this divine work as valuable, prioritized time. By the way, love is oftentimes spelled T-I-M-E, that we would put in quality time. If you want to get mentioned as those who worked on the wall, you got to show up for the work. Number four, stay united in love. This dream worth building requires you and I to stay united in love. There would be a group of people they would try to distract and divide the nation of Israel. They would try to get people upset with each other. So they would create little offenses. This is what the devil does. He knows that the devil, like the devil is not afraid of a large church. He's not afraid of a big building. He's afraid of a united church. He, a house divided cannot stand. The devil's not like trembling at a large house where everybody hates each other. What gets the devil trembling is when a family gets united around a divine vision. When a family lifts each other's arms up. This is why we lift each other's arms up. You don't know what people on your row have walked through this week. Every time we gather, someone on your row, it's amazing what's represented on one row. On one row, here in this church, you could have a young couple that just lost their baby. And on that same row, you could have another couple that just celebrated the birth of their new baby. And on that same row, you could be next to a, a, a marriage that's falling apart, that's filing for divorce. And on that same row, a young couple that just got married. It's crazy how many tragedies and victories are all represented on just one row. On one row, a man just got promoted at his work. Well done. Great job. But on that same row, someone just lost their job. Let's not forget that the people next to us need us. They need our celebration, but they also need our comfort. This is why we've got to stay united, because the devil knows if I can get everybody operating in silo, isolation, solo, Han Solo mode, if I can get them just thinking about themselves, just tunnel vision, just thinking about their part on the wall, then I can distract and I can isolate better. The enemy thrives on believers that are in isolation. When believers get offended and angry, we're just going to do this on our own. We don't need family. We don't need community. We don't need relationships. I'm angry. Pastor Paul forgot my name again. Pastor Ashley did not shake my hand this week. 
They didn't sing my favorite song on stage this week. Listen, the enemy will stir up petty offenses to get people divided. And and here's one thing I know. In Nehemiah chapter 3, the work was only able to come to pass because people were united in heart. They were united. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, what God does through this nation, it all comes from a place of unity. A divided world needs a united church. So the devil wants us fighting with each other instead of fighting for each other. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, two are better than one. Another way to put it is groupies are better than selfies. All I'm saying is when we're together, we're stronger. Somebody say better together. Think about it. Like there's certain things that are just better together. Cookies and milk are better together. Coffee and cream is better together. Popcorn and a movie is better together. Beef and cheddar is better together. Milo and Otis, better together. Starsky and Hutch, better together. Salt and pepper, no question about it, better together. Bread and butter, better together. Ashley and Paul, better together. You and Victory, better together. Batman and Robin, better together. Ty and Debbie Barker, better together. Don't let the enemy separate what God has called to be united. Don't let the enemy separate you and your spouse. He's after marriages right now. The results of COVID are far bigger than just sickness and disease. There's been a sickness in homes. There's been, there's been a result of mental health problems. There's been, there's been a result of greater strife and greater division. Everybody say, stay together. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 10 says, when one person falls down, another person can lift each other up. I think about the movie, Remember the Titans. Left side, strong side. Left side, strong side. Gary Bertier and Julius are better together. How many of y'all remember, remember the Titans? If you haven't seen the movie, you need to go watch it tonight. Homework this week for victory. Remember the Titans. Why? It was about a, a team of, of players that had to get over their preferences and their prejudices. Stop the prejudice. Let's get over it. We are called to do this together. In verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, when two lie down together, they can keep each other warm. But when one person is alone, they're cold. And that makes, and you're going, yeah, of course. But the point of what he's trying to say is, if the enemy can pull us away from each other, there's fire in unity. There's revival in unity. There's a strength in unity. We've got to stick together. We've got to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. We've got to work to build relationships. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't forsake the assembling together of the brethren and sisters. Don't forsake getting together and stir each other up with love and good deeds. Number five, here's my final point right here. The dogs may bark, but the train keeps moving. Who let the dogs out? Who, who, who? Who let the dogs out? Roof, roof, but the train keeps moving. Okay, stop just for a second. Y'all are like, what's going on right now? Where am I? (laughs) 
This was a saying my dad used to say, the dogs may bark, but the train keeps moving. Here's why he said it, because he faced criticism every week. And I didn't know the criticism he faced until I stepped into this role. Sometimes you think you know something until you're there. I want the band to come out. Um, when I was younger, I remember my dad would move forward with the vision. He would say, hey, we're going to, we're going to reach out into this part of Tulsa. We're going to start the Dream Center. And people said, you can't do it. Can't be done. Besides, you're a white guy. You can't reach this part of the neighborhood. You, you won't be able to impact any people. people. People said all kinds of things against Victory and my dad and didn't, didn't believe his heart. And then I remember the Dream Center started. Here we are 23 years later and the Dream Center is still going. People said it wouldn't last a year. 23 years later, the train is still moving forward. Now, I'm not calling people dogs, so don't misunderstand me. Be like, he calling somebody a dog? No, I'm not. I'm just saying criticism is a spirit. Skepticism is a spirit. In Nehemiah's story, Nehemiah 2 verse 10, you would think that everybody would be excited about a nation being restored, a nation that had lost its splendor, a nation that had gone through so much heartache, pain, disgrace. You would think, yeah, that's good. But not everybody's happy about your restoration. Not everybody's for you. If Jesus had a Judas, all I'm saying is not everybody's going to celebrate when you start moving forward in life. Verse 10, it says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, go ahead and start that dog bark again. When they heard about my arrival, Nehemiah says, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the welfare of the Israelites. All right, stop the dogs for a second. You hear what I'm saying? I was talking with Pastor Tim Newton a couple weeks ago of the Tulsa Dream Center, and he said, Paul, I don't know what kind of criticism you've faced in the last year, but he said, I just want to encourage you. Your dad used to say the dogs may bark, but the train keeps rolling. He said, have you seen what God's doing at the Dream Center in Victory? He's like, this train can't be stopped. We won't stop, and we can't stop. And I want to just throw up some pictures of, of the Dream Center, the camp, the school, because so often we stop for the barking of a dog. We stop for the criticism. Sometimes the barks aren't out there. Sometimes they're in here. And sometimes we listen to these thoughts of it can't be done. You won't be able to fulfill that. Here we are. The train is still rolling. The train is still moving forward. The train is still reaching kids and families. The train is still impacting neighborhoods. The train won't stop. Somebody say, don't stop the train. This is a word for someone in the room that's been discouraged lately. The enemy will try to discourage you out of your calling. The enemy will try to bark as loud as he can to convince you. I want, I want to just throw up some anonymous text messages just for a second. I want you to look at these anonymous text messages that sometimes come to you and come to me. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. You can't do that. You'll never be able to accomplish that dream. You're too old. You're too young. You don't have enough money to do that dream. And you'll never have enough because you aren't enough. God won't come through for you. God doesn't even like you. That's the devil barking at you. But can I tell you, there's a train that's moving. There's a train that's headed for glory. I want to pull up some other text messages for a minute. 
Go ahead and put up that other declaration of victory for you. See, God says you are more than a conqueror. God says he who started this work in you will be faithful to complete it. God says nothing can separate you from his love. God says you are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do great works. See, the dogs may bark, but the train keeps moving. Stop letting the dogs talk you out of your purpose. Stop letting the internal barks of a dog talk you out of that train. I'm on a train today. I'm on the victory train. Choo-choo! Somebody say, I'm on the victory train. Somebody say, I am needed. I am called by God. I am adopted in his family. I am not alone. If God is for me, I will see the victory. I have resurrection power inside me. Therefore, I refuse to quit. Now, I want you to see how Nehemiah internalized this. Look at this. In Nehemiah, I want the band to get ready to play. We're going we're to go into some worship music. We need to just stir up a spirit of hope. In Nehemiah 2, verse 19, right as the work began on the wall, Hear these dog barkers come back out, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. It says in verse 19, they, they show up. And when they heard about the work being done on the wall, they began to mock Nehemiah. They begin to ridicule us. What do you think you're doing? You're not qualified to do that. We know about your past. You're unworthy for this. You're not the right guy. God won't show up for you. He doesn't care about you like he cared about your daddy. Who do you think you are, Paul? What do you think you can accomplish? And I love how Nehemiah, get those dogs barking again. I love how Nehemiah, he hears the barking of the dogs. He's not ignoring it. He hears the dogs barking. He hears the ridicule. He hears the negative. He hears the discouragement, but he's tuned in to another level. He's marching to a different beat. He responds back to that criticism in verse 20. He said, I know the God of heaven is on my side, and he will help me succeed. I know the God of heaven sees his servants, and he will help us rebuild this wall. But you will have no share, no legal right, no historic claim in the city of Jerusalem. This nation belongs to God. And God God will get the glory. Come on, stand on your feet all over this place. Somebody say, choo-choo. Come on, the train is moving. The train is moving. Now, I have to preach this sermon to myself every week. This is what I preach to myself. If you wonder, what does Paul preach to himself during the week? It's this. The dogs may bark, but the train keeps rolling. It's such an old saying, but it's so true because... Every person God uses in the Bible faces internal criticism, which is the lies we believe about ourselves from the devil. Nobody's actually saying it. It's just in our head. But then sometimes you face external criticism. It could come from friends, family. It could come from strangers. It could come from someone on Twitter. But you got to learn to tune into a different drumbeat. You got to remind yourself, no, 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 hold up, hold up. It's the blood of Jesus that brought me into this. It's the blood of Jesus that redeemed me. It's the blood of Jesus. I overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony. If it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? It's the blood of Jesus that goes before me and behind me. It's the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over my family. I remember one time I was younger and a policeman showed up to our parents' house and my mom and dad were at the door and he said, there's, there's been someone who's trying to like harass you guys. And I remember hearing that and someone had posted crazy things on 
papers and put it all around the neighborhood and threats towards my parents, threats towards my dad, threatening to kidnap us. And um, I, I got nervous when I heard, I was like, what? Who's trying to get us? And you know, I was a kid and my dad said, we got angels charged round about us, Paul. The blood of Jesus protects us. And he says, God is going behind us, before us. And my mom, they said, we're going to pray right now. We're going to bind these threats from the enemy. We're going to take authority as a family. Because God is with us. God is for us. And sure enough, the threats came to nothing. But those threats were trying to pull my dad and mom out from their purpose. This is what's happening with Nehemiah. These guys come at him, and they're trying to talk him out of rebuilding Israel. Because they know if Israel gets its splendor back, if Israel gets strong again, Israel is a force that cannot be stopped. When the church of Jesus Christ recognizes who we are in Christ and we get united and we stop getting divided over petty hurts and wounds, or maybe even not petty, you go, well, some of these aren't petty. But if we will choose to focus on the main thing, what's the main thing? Jesus. The blood of Jesus has redeemed it. The blood of Jesus brings us together as a family. If we will get united around the right vision and around the right purpose, the enemy knows he cannot stop. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to speak this to you right now. Some of you have been discouraged. You've lost your sense of confidence because the enemy has been barking in your head. Maybe it's not a family member. Maybe it's not a stranger. Maybe it's just you. You've been allowing the lies of the enemy to bark louder than the train that God's called you to be a part of. And Tim said something to me. I won't forget two weeks ago. He said, Paul, can you imagine a dog in front of a steam train? I said, that's not a good imagination. He said, that dog's going to get out of the way. He said, once you move forward with momentum from God and you walk in the authority and the confidence of who you are in Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, The devil can't stop. And this is my encouragement for some of you in the room. When you recognize who's, if God is for you, who can be against you? You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthened you. I was speaking this last night to people at the altar in the 9 a.m. Moms and dads just struggling, believing God for healing in their home. I believe God wants to restore your family. I believe God wants to reconcile relationships. I believe God wants to bring healing and hope to you. I believe God wants to set you free from addiction and depression. I believe God wants to lift you out of that mental illness that you've been in, that emotional heartbreak that you've been in. God wants to bring healing. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. Lord, I just pray for your church. God, this is your church. You're the head of this church. We belong to you. And I just pray, God, for victory for anyone who feels discouraged, defeated, overwhelmed, unqualified, unworthy, unrighteous. I just pray today, God, that you would come and that you would wash them with encouragement. Wash them with the encouragement of the word of God. The truth will set you free. You belong to Jesus. You are a child of God. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed. You have a purpose. You are here on purpose because you have a purpose. God is not finished with your family yet. God is not finished with your son yet. God is not finished with your husband yet. God is not done working on your daughter yet. God has greater things for your mom. God has greater things for your family. God can do the healing work that you've been praying for. He is more than able. He is not small. His arm is not short. He is able to rescue and redeem. He's able to heal and restore. He's able to renew what the enemy has called dead. He's able to restore what the enemy has stolen. 
If you're here this morning, you just need prayer for your family or prayer for your purpose, for, your, for who you are in Christ, just to walk in that encouragement. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for men and women, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. And you just need to walk in the victory over that discouragement right now. If the enemy's been messing with you with discouragement, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. This is a prayer for encouragement. This is a prayer to speak hope over you, that God's given you a dream worth building. Secondly, if you're here today and you say, man, I just need a miracle in my life. I need a miracle in my family right now. If that's you, raise your hand. We want to pray for miracles today, breakthroughs in your family, total turnarounds in Jesus' name. He can do it. He can do it. He's able to do it. Lastly, if you're here and you're not saved, you want to give your heart to Jesus and and truly repent and receive his forgiveness. If that's you today, today's your day to receive salvation. Just lift your hand up today. You're saying, I want to come back to Jesus. I'm ready to get right with the Lord. If you raise your hand for any of those, would you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar. And we're going to cheer on brave men, brave women, moms, dads, sons, daughters, college students, teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers elementary, whatever age you are, whatever season of life you're in, grandparents, today is your day for encouragement. Today is your day for freedom. Today is your day to get hope restored and renewed, healing in the home, healing in families, reconciliation between husbands and wives, reconciliation between mothers and sons, daughters and fathers. In Jesus' name, let's just begin to worship. Let's just take authority this morning as we begin to sing to the Lord. I don't see it, you work yeah, Even when I don't feel it, you work yeah. You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working And even when I don't see it, you work yeah. And even when I don't feel it, you work yeah. You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, even when
feel it, you work. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. see the victory I'm gonna see the victory for the battle belongs to the Lord I'm gonna see the victory I'm gonna see
God, we just speak healing this morning to every family, God. Reconciliation. Lord, we come in agreement for prayers that are being prayed right now at this altar. God, for restoration in homes. And God, we do. Lord, we, we believe that you're able to do it. We believe, God, that you can heal relationships. You can heal hearts. God, I pray right now for people that are here at this altar that need encouragement, that have just been discouraged. They've lost a sense of confidence. They've lost that sense of passion. They've allowed the barking of, of just the enemy to just take over space in their mind. They've given way too much energy to it. That today, God, you're flushing those thoughts. You're renewing their mind. You're washing them. It's like you, you brought them into almost like a car wash and you're just cleaning off the lies of the enemy that have just been sitting on their mind, sitting on the front windows of, of their eyelids. You've just, Lord, right now you're washing them, God, with your word. You're reminding them who they are in Christ, that they are a child of God, that they are needed, that they are loved, and they are created on purpose for a purpose. And God, that you are for them. You are with them. You have not abandoned them, God, that you live inside them. Resurrection power is in you. Just say this with me. I'm needed. I'm called. I'm adopted by God into his family. I am not alone. God is for me and I will see the victory. I have resurrection power living in me. Therefore, I will not quit because I have the victory in Jesus' name. Now just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have saved me. You restore me. You're renewing me. You are healing me for your glory. My life belongs to you. I'm a child of God. I'm all yours, God. Use me for your glory. Give me a testimony of what you've done and what you're going to do for your glory in my life, in my family. In Jesus' name, 